All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again in the blockhouse with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? It's going well. Great. Normally, this is a Bob Dylan podcast where we talk about Bob Dylan uh, yesterday or wherever you are in time. You could have listened to us talk about Christmas because it's after Christmas time. Usually that period after Christmas, I think a lot of people obviously do a lot of reflection on their lives. They think about uh, what the new year is going to bring and all that kind of stuff. We're not, we don't have any episodes for our new year's resolutions like we did last year oh, where yeah. we had Woody Guthrie stuff. Maybe we'll do it again in the future. But we thought we tried this last year. It's about a two and a half hour raw cut. So instead of looking at everyone and doing some crazy thing like we tried to do last year, we just made a playlist and focused on the artists and the music. Some of it we are very intimate with and some of it we know absolutely nothing about. Obviously, every time you think about death, it's you kind of contemplate your own life. So while you're listening and listening to the music, maybe think a little bit about what next year you want to bring into the world. So before we even start with our music, a couple of big deaths, if you will, that happened this year um, quickly instead of just the really large ones that we were trying to do last year. Um, Naomi Parker Farley, she was Rosie the Riveter. She passed away mm-hmm. at 96 this year. We talked about Ursula Le Guin and Nikana Para early this year. Uh, she died at 88. He died at 104. Uh, but we talked about that when we were doing, I think, Sarah. Uh, Roger Bannister, the first person to run a four-minute mile, died at 88. Stephen Hawking passed away at 76 this year. Linda Brown of Brown versus the Board of Education died at 75. Vern Troyer died at 49. Mm. Uh, a couple of authors, Tom Wolfe, who I read Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test when I was in high school, uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, he passed away. Uh, Philip Roth, Plot Against America, American Pastoral, Portnoy's Complaint, died at 85. V.S. Nepal, um, who wrote A House for Miss Boswas, uh, passed away as well. Anthony Bourdain died at 61. Right, as well as this year. Stan Lee recently, 95 years old. Uh, Stephen Hillenberg, uh, who created SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, died at 57. Hmm. Yeah, very sad. Everyone was very upset about that. Um, and then uh, just to date where we are, George H.W. Bush died two days ago. So this is early December when we're recording this. And we're not going to cover anybody who died after because we, we can't <laughs> yes all right kelly let's start logically where we should which is going to be in january so what we're going to do is basically i'm just going to list off all the names kind of give a brief overview and then we'll just kind of talk about uh the songs and kind of what we remembered about them uh the first person who died uh, on our list uh, is robert mann who was a founder of the juilliard the juilliard quartet he died at 97 he actually played in the ensemble for 51 years and uh, another interesting death that pertains a lot to Bob Dylan is Rick Hall. He was the architect of the Muscle Shoals Sound. Uh, he's famous for starting Fame Studios, which is in uh, the Florence, Alabama Music Enterprises. Uh, it's recorded everybody. It's recorded uh, Arthur Alexander was the first record that basically built the studio. Um, Jimmy Hughes' Steal Away um, established Fame as a record label. And then Wilson Pickett showed up and basically blew it wide open. Aretha Franklin recorded two songs in a day. I Never Loved a Man the Way I Loved You and Do Right Woman, Do Right Man, which were huge hits. But she got into an argument, I think, with him and took all the Muscle Shoals musicians to New York City and recorded Respect. Hmm. Otherwise, Respect would have been recorded there too. And it was later that the Muscle Shoals sound, like what we think of as a Muscle Shoals sound, that would record with... The staple singers, Paul Simon, Bob Seger, Bob Dylan, Traffic, amongst 
tons of other bands. Uh, that was Barry Beckett on keyboard, Jimmy Johnson on guitar, David Hood on bass, and Roger Hawkins on drums. They eventually left for a time period, uh, and they started the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Or sorry, they started the Muscle Shoals sound studio. And uh, but they eventually reconciled, and so that sound that we get is very much Rick Hall. The New Yorker in their obituary said, quote, Muscle Shoals remains remarkable not just for the music it made, but for the unlikeliness as an epicenter of anything in Florence, Alabama, that a tiny town in the quiet corner of Alabama became a hotbed of progressive integrated rhythm and blues still feels inexplicable. Whatever Hall conjured there, whatever he dreamt and made real is essential to any recounting of American ingenuity. It is a testament to a certain kind of hope. Tell me you will try to slip away somehow. Later in January, Tom, Ray Thomas of the Moody Blues died. Did you ever listen to the Moody Blues? No, but I have definitely heard Nights in White Satin. Yeah, and that flute solo, that's him. So Apparently. He's, he's rocking that uh, that flute solo. And uh, in 2018, he was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hmm. with the Moody Blues. I don't know anything else about the Moody Blues. Nor do I. Kind of love the name, though. I'm saying it a lot. It's kind of nice. <laughs> Frances Gall, she's a, a French singer. She passed away in early January. Uh Fast Eddie Clark, Motorhead. He played on uh, the their debut album, uh, Overkill, Bomber, Ace of Spades. We all know Ace of Spades. Yeah. I know Overkill. Did you you listen to Motorhead or? Uh, not really. But I mean, I, Lemmy was such a fixture. Like he was always on anything recounting metal of over the ages. Oh my god, that's right. Shows. All of those, uh, all of those things. VH1 shows and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody and a lot of the bands we probably listen to were definitely influenced, influenced by, by them for sure. By them yeah. for sure. And listening to Overkill. I get it. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denise LaSalle, 78. She died. She was a, a rhythm and blues singer uh, known for Queen of the Blues. She was, wait, what? No. Known as. Queen of the Blues. Yeah. Born on July 16, 1939, near Sedona, Mississippi. Not only a recording artist, but also a songwriter, producer, record label owner, and nightclub operator. Wow. She also had a restaurant, I believe. Um, she spent her early years on a plantation before moving to Chicago, sang in her church, and joined a gospel, the gospel group, the Sacred Five, when she was a teenager. She gained a little bit of infamy by the way that she would be on stage. She would kind of, in the lyrics in her songs, where she would call out men's behavior and just like uh, be a little raucous and a little bit lewd sometimes. And how dare a woman, Bernard? Um, they called it a racy on stage performance, Ooh. having containing off-color raps. Nice. Uh, about how these men treated women, and so she was, was a badass. Uh, she was on the Mississippi-based Malaco Records, uh, which staples include other blues and souls legends like Carl Sims, uh, Billy Ray Charles, and Bobby Blue Bland. Which oh, hey, we listened to not too long Band ago. Mom. So, I mean, she was a, a huge deal. Yeah. Um, she, I don't know, the song that we have is great. It's really catchy. Some of her stuff is a lot more bluesy, 
uh, as opposed to like kind of poppy and yeah. soul driven. But um, yeah, see, it's it's crazy that um, Aretha Franklin is uh, a household name, but I'm you know maybe it's just because we're not so young. Maybe probably, I'm sure I, my mom probably knows who she is. Yeah, I, I definitely had no yeah. idea. Yeah, no, and I think a lot of this too, unfortunately, uh, and that's why this playlist is interesting and interesting for you out there too. Is that if you really like something, I'm more than likely we don't really know them. Yeah. So we're picking the song that is uh, mentioned in the obit as like the song, if I can find it, or I'm taking the top Spotify song. I'm, I'm just going to be as discerning as I can. And usually I'm pretty good about that. But but yeah, I mean, there might be way better tracks than that. So if you really like that that sound, boom, just follow, follow the, follow the your thread. Heart. Follow your heart. <laughs> and then, of course, we won't dwell on this one too long, but also in January, Dolores O'Riordan. Yeah. She passed away. Cranberries, we did a whole... Mixed up confusion on her in early February, I believe. So highly recommend going back to listen to that. Um, we put two songs on here. What is it? Salvation and uh, uh, Wake, wake Up and Smell the coffee. coffee. Yeah. So we talked a lot about her her records and the Cranberries records and highly recommend going back and listening to that. Also in January, Edwin Hawkins. Uh, he was a American gospel musician, pianist, choir, uh, master, composer, arranger. He's known best for Oh Happy Day. Mm. Oh Happy yeah. Day. Oh Happy <laughs> Day. Uh, it was included in a lot of the songs of the centuries lists. Uh, so yeah, he was he was known mostly for that in the Edwin Hawkins singers. And I think everybody's heard that song before. Somebody who I'd never heard of but got really interested in was uh, the trumpeter Hugh Maskella. He died at 78 years old. He was a South African trumpeter, singer, and activist who became symbolic in the country's anti-apartheid movement and spent years making music, basically, to in the hopes of changing people's minds. Um, he became infatuated with the trumpet in 1950 when he saw Kirk Douglas playing it in the movie Young Man with a Horn. Hmm. Um, there were events that happened, namely the Sharpsville Massacre in 1960, that prompted the apartheid government to say any more than 10 people, black people, hanging out together is a crime. So there were no more jazz ensembles. There were no more music. So he fled, of course. And he, we put on our playlist, Grazing in the Grass, which I love. I think it's beautiful. Um and that that was a, a huge hit for him in 1968. He went on to uh, found music academies in like Botswana and all the countries surrounding South Africa. And eventually, through his work and the work of the world, uh, we're able to end that apartheid regime and uh, get somebody like Nelson Mandela out of prison uh, in 1990. And uh, obviously, we know Nelson Mandela as a symbol of just the injustice of that entire system. So uh, he, he led a pretty big life and uh, released a lot of records and very interesting. And played on like the Graceland tour with Paul Simon um, and then released a ton of stuff on his own.
Very interesting. And to close out January, Mark Smith, frontman of The Fall. The Fall have released a thousand records, it feels like. Um, they're an institution in Britain. Uh, they've had 66 different members over the years, Whoa. a third of them lasting less than a year. He famously said, quote, if it's me and your granny on bongos, it's The Fall. Yeah, and last year, The Fall released their 32nd album, New Facts Emerge, uh, and they were touring as when he went ill. Um, he was actually still playing when he was in a wheelchair. Like, even this past year, he was in a wheelchair performing. It was still wow. going. Um, they're a tough hang. They're real hard to get into. Like, yeah. listening. I mean, repetition is pretty fun, but that's why I picked it. But a lot of it is very plotting and very, like, okay, mm. cool. I, I see. I get the point. So that moves us on into February. So early February, we lost Dennis Edwards, who was the lead singer of The Temptations, multiple times over. Uh, he was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989. Uh, he is um, he was admired by Aretha Franklin, who said that Daydreaming was inspired by him, and it was uh, shown actually that he might not he maybe shouldn't have died. Um, his wife apparently, before he passed away, attempted to suffocate him. Ooh, um, shit. And yeah, because he was bed bound and immobile and she denies it. But there have been charges placed against her. So a little bit of um, craziness there. And of course, my girl is what we have on the playlist. And right. who hasn't heard my girl? And it's beautiful. And he's a really beautiful singer. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of vocal groups from the like 40s and 50s. Oh, and, the crystals in this playlist is great. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, the ink spots or you know it, it's just such a great sound they were a little bit later um definitely a little more motown yeah yeah well and that's the thing too uh but yeah it's a it's a bummer i mean this whole this whole episode is gonna be a tough hang so. uh, well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a celebration of their music it's and their true. lives uh, somebody who we did talk about on the podcast but worth mentioning again is is Mickey Jones. That guy from Home Improvement. The guy from Home Improvement. He was on tons of stuff. He was on Dukes of Hazard, Charlie's Angels, Rockford Files, Incredible Hulk, MASH. Um, recently was on Justified. He was a, he was, was it Hot Rod Dunham? Rodney Hot Rod Dunham. He was a marijuana distributor. Uh, and he got, got killed. And uh, yeah, he was on Home Improvement famously. His catchphrase was, Pete, that would be me. <laughs> And that's what he named his autobiography later on in his life. Yeah, so he was uh, in tons of movies as well, as we talked about before. Tin Cup, Sling Sling Blade, Total Recall, Starman, National Lampoon's Vacation. He had quite a life. It was interesting. Just He said, I wanted to stop playing music because I I hated traveling. I didn't want to be on a plane and on a bus. So I was like, I'm going to go basically at the height of my career playing with Bob Dylan to just be like, no, I'm going to go back to the bottom. So that's an interesting choice, no matter which way you take it, because he was basically just a extra guy for years until he was, you know, famous. I mean, and he had the certain look. I mean, come on, that beard. Oh, you yeah. know exactly who I'm talking about. In February, we also lost somebody I wasn't truly aware of, Lovebug Starsky, who was a hip-hop pioneer. He died at 57. 
the, uh, the New York Times had a really great obit about him. So I just want to quote the first part of it. Quote, to hear Lovebug Starsky tell it, he was there when the phrase hip-hop was coined, trading the two words back and forth while improvising lines with Cowboy of the Furious Five uh, at the farewell party for a friend who was headed to the army. He incorporated that phase into his DJ sets that he was playing all around the South Bronx, helping to solidify it as lingo, as a scene inadvertently providing the opening lines to Rapper's Delight, the 1979 Sugar Hill Gang song that would take hip-hop out of parties and onto the radio. And about that song, to hear Love Bug Starsky tell it, he was the inspiration for that too. Well, you can definitely hear it in the way that he raps on the mm-hmm. song that we have on the playlist. Uh, Cause it immediately made me think of that. And it's certainly that very particular delivery of the, the, the words over the music that was emblematic of that time, yeah. um, which is not my favorite, <laughs> but no. I mean, you have to give credit where credit is due. Well, I've been through times not so high. I did the best with what I've got. I didn't let those things bother me. Believed in my own VIP. When things got bad and very slim, I didn't think that I could win. About to drown my troubles in the sea. But these words of wisdom came to me. In February, we also lost Johan Johansson. He was an Icelandic composer. He died at 48. Born in September 1969 in Reykjavik. Um, he scored theater, dance, TV, and movies, as well as a couple of independent works, like where he just made albums of yeah. beautiful fucking music. Uh, his biggest scoring jobs were in the film Sicario in 2015 and Arrival awesome. in 2016, both of which got him nominated for Academy Awards, and The Theory of Everything, which actually won him a Golden Globe. That's the story of Stephen Hawking. Um yeah, I, I've mentioned on this podcast multiple times that I really love music from Iceland. I don't know what it is about the music. Yeah. The, the cold, uh, it's it's beautiful. His stuff is, well, just if you want to cry, <laughs> go ahead and put on some Johan Johansson. Did you know, and I don't know if this is true, oh, this God, is, might be some go. anecdote that is <laughs> completely unfounded, that in some, uh, what are the snowy places called, like Norway and Sweden and Finland? Nordic countries. Is it Nordic? I was going to say Nordic, but then it's not wrong. Plus, I don't know 100% if Iceland is included in Nordic countries. I have no idea. The the Johansson thing, that they're supposed to, the way they have surnames or last names, oh. is you take your father's first name and then you put son at the end. So, so his father all... must have been named Johan also. Okay. And then he named his son Johan. So Johansson would be his name. Michelson, anything, son, you know. Anyway, It's, yeah, a, it's catchy though. <laughs> Johan Johansson. Yeah. Johan Johansson. His music is beautiful, and it's really too bad that um, he's he died. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I mean, yeah. he's so young and obviously making a name for himself. Uh, in February, we also lost Vic Damone. Yeah, I never heard of this guy, which is interesting because I definitely listened to a lot of music when he would have, like his contemporaries. True. Yeah. Um, the New York Times described him as a post-war crooner. Uh, whose intimate rhapsodic voice captivated Bobby Soxers, middle-aged dreamers, and silver-haired romantics in the five-decade melody of America's love songs and popular standards. He wasn't as popular as the uh, Frank Sinatra, Sinatra of Dean the Martin. World. Yeah, yeah, and, and New York Times again, just the great. And the reason why I go to them for all of this stuff is uh, this quote along. Uh, this quote alone. Quote. Along the way, he made millions, entertained presidents and royalty, refused to pardon the Godfather, married five times, had four children, and underwent analysis. He was survived. He also survived a brush with the mob, four divorces, a custody fight over his only son, and the suicides of two former wives. 
and he was still working as the millennium turned with a voice that critics said had not lost its mellow subtleties. Yeah. We also lost, finally, in February, maybe my favorite song on this whole playlist, um, Barbara Allen Alston of The Crystals. She died at 74. The Crystals apparently were a thing. Um, this song is really beautiful. Uh, I found out after I'd put it on and kind of like really, really love this song that it's not even, sorry, Barbara Allen Alston, she's not singing it. It's actually Dolores Brooks mm-hmm. who's singing it. But um, but either way, she's a part of the group and it's it's fabulous. Uh, they were really big um, in, the, in the early 1960s. This song in particular though is uh, number 493 on Rolling Stone's greatest 500 songs of all time. Pitchfork put it at number 18 of the 200 best songs of the 60s. Uh, it was number eight on Billboard's top 100 girl group songs of all time. Uh, and apparently it's really famous. I don't, I've only seen the Goodfellas maybe once, but there's a three minute straight, you know, what do they call the scenes? Continuous shot. shot. Yeah. Uh, where they play this song in full over, uh, I guess the Coco Cabana scene or whatever. Maybe it's like a big murder scene. I don't really know, but apparently the song is in that too. And it's iconic uh, for being used in Goodfellas. So Fantastic. If you have never heard of the crystals, I don't think I'd ever heard of the crystals. So No, but I'm sure you've heard the song. It, I have definitely crazy. heard the song, yeah. All right, moving on to March. Russ Solomon, the founder of Tower Records, passed away. Did you ever go into a Tower Records? No, I never lived near a Tower Records. Yeah, they were gone, I think, by the time we were like of age. to. I mean, I remember Coconuts. That was the last place that I probably sh- shopped for Peaches? CDs. I want to say there was a record store called Peaches that was really big in no South Florida. Hmm. There's a lot of independent stuff that's still uh, kicking to this day, uh, but they were making annual sales of a billion dollars at their peak. Um, you know what's really weird though is that Tower Records is still around, but they don't sell anything but a tote bag. Their Instagram is still up, and they have these weird reviews about new albums that come out, but there's nowhere to buy it. There's no. There's nothing. Who is paying this person to get on Instagram and type up? It blows my mind. Uh, In March, we also lost uh, Gary Burden. He was an artist who covered California in the 1970s. His artwork you'll recognize from Neil Young's After the Gold Rush, Freedom on the Beach. He worked with the Eagles, Desperado, Jackson Brown, The Pretender, Joni Mitchell's Blue is him. Uh, Morrison Hotel by the doors. We've covered that too, where they're standing in the doorway. Uh, Those were all him. So a lot of that California of the 1970s, those famous records were him. He died um, at the age of 84 this year. On the 13th of March, we lost Craig Mack. Craig Mack, born in May of 1970 out of Brentwood, New York, uh, one of Bad Boy Records' first breakout acts in the remix of Flavor in Your Ear, which the original was a top 10 hit in 1994 that sold over a million copies. That's crazy. Uh, but the remix was the first thing to showcase uh, the Tories B.I.G. Yes. Um, whose success, unfortunately, would cast a shadow over Mack's own career and, and kind of prevent him from possibly uh, a bigger rise. Uh, he did release two albums, Project Funk the World, which uh, Flavor Nier was on in 1994, and Operation Get Down in 1997, but he wasn't able to to be like recapture that success of Flavor yeah. Nier. Um, he, he definitely w- made Bad Boy, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, of big- uh, a quote from Mr. P. Diddy, Sean Combs himself, oh. Craig Mack, you were the first artist to release music on Bad Boy and gave us our first hit. You always followed your heart, and you had an energy that was out of this world. You believed in me, and you believed in Bad Boy. I will never forget what you did for hip hop. You inspired me and I will continue to try to keep inspiring others. We will always love you. Um, yeah, he kind of dropped off the face of the planet. He left the rap game officially in the early aughts um, and had like a kind of Christian awakening. Yeah, he moved his family to South Carolina mm-hmm. and 
to according to him he felt he was doing wickedness in new york and righteousness in south carolina so he i think he released a, a couple songs um kind of about how he was feeling spiritually and stuff like that but he mostly kept to himself until yeah. he died um that video for flavor in the air has uh buster rhymes ll cool mm-hmm. j notorious big uh, i mean obviously puff daddy can't help himself from showing up in the video <laughs> uh but it's it, and that beat to that song, mm-hmm. once you hear it start, it sounds so much like Creep, uh, which is okay. really interesting. And I thought, I was like, is this the same book? <laughs> but it's not. It's very similar, but it's not. But it has a distinct uh, East Coast rap sound to it that yeah. would really be formative of the, of the 90s. And I just uh, I really, really like that song. And it, you've heard it before, I'm sure. If you yes. second you listen to it, you yeah. know that song. Absolutely. Ready to Die came out a week after. Funk the World. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they in the promotion, they promoted the two artists together uh, as Big Mac. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I did read that. So I think that was a, was a huge mistake. I step on stage, girls scream like I'm key. You won't be around next year. My rap's too severe. Can't get bad flavor in the air. And at the end of March, we lost uh, Caleb Schofield, basis for Cave In. Uh, he actually passed away in a car crash, unfortunately. He was a member of Cave In, um, the sludge metal band Zozobra, and was also a part of Old Man Gloom, which is a long-running uh, atmospheric sludge metal band. Um, he died of smoke inhalation, uh, thermal injuries, and multiple blunt impact injuries when his uh, pickup truck crashed into a concrete barrier. And uh, they set up a... Uh, you caring crowdfunding for his memorial service with an initial goal of a thousand dollars and they got 72,000 in 24 hours. Um, that community, that Massachusetts, like hardcore sludge metal community is like, they're so tight knit and it's so crazy to see all of these bands like coming together and sort of being, I don't know, just mourning together and making music together about this. They held a bunch of fundraising shows. One of them was in Boston in June of this year. Converge, Young Widows, uh, and a reunited cancer conspiracy all played there. And in L.A. in October, just a couple months ago, they played uh, a benefit show with Pelican 27 and Celestial, which was a one-off reunion of ISIS. After being, they broke up in what, 2011? 13 something like that so like that's fucking crazy uh and then playing bass for all of those bands during the during the shows were like nate newton of converge steven bronsky who is obviously the, the lead singer of cave in uh and then schofield's brother kyle so it's just like so fun to think of them playing these songs and like him coming up and taking the bass and and doing shit like that so it's definitely a definitely a hard one especially because he was young too he's only 40 years old so it's a bummer Moving on to April, somebody that you probably definitely love, Cecil Taylor, uh, who was uh, basically one of the pioneers of free jazz. Uh, He was, quote, a pianist who challenged the jazz tradition that produced him and became one of the most bracing, rhapsodic, abstract, and original improvisers of all time. 420, we lost... How do you say his name? A VC? A VC, I think, but or maybe it might be a VC. He was 28 years old. I know. That's there's a lot of young people on this list, and unfortunately, the, the big first one. He was born in September 1989 uh, from Stockholm, Sweden. He's a DJ and producer named Tim Burling originally. And he got to start by remixing songs and posting them on EDM websites, which is where a lot of EDM and uh, electronic artists ended up getting their start. Yeah. I think it might be a little 
less so now because of the market's kind of been flooded. SoundCloud, SoundCloud. Um, has definitely been a, a bane and boon. Um, kind of, there's a lot more stuff now to wade through as far as quality. But right. um, he actually got a record deal from it just at, at 16. Um, but his career really took off with Levels in 2011, which was a house track featuring an Ed of James sample. Um, and he ended up having to enter a lawsuit because of he used that sample without mm. permission. But uh, he signed with Island Records and he was being paid about a quarter of a million dollars per gig. And he Jesus. appeared in Ralph Lauren ads and he was huge at Ultra, which is Miami's like premier EDM festival. Um, in 2013, he debuted the song Wake Me Up, which we all know, which is the one that's on the playlist. He brought a band on stage that included a banjo and violin and was booed. Uh, Bob Dylan going electric. He went electric. Yeah, so he, he went, went acoustic. He went co- pop country, and uh, <laughs> but the song went on to sell four million copies and was number one hit in twenty two countries. Um, he, his whole career, however short it was, he really battled the whole minutia of what it means to be a touring musician. He got caught up in the, the lots of drinking and drugs and he suffered from liver problems drinking, because of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, he retired because of that because his health was so poor in 2016. He's yeah. 26. I know. He'd only been doing music for 10 years but apparently it was a really rough ride the whole time and he uh, killed himself on uh, April 20th of this year. Yeah, it's really interesting because he was so big for a moment. That song is huge. And I personally don't super love his music, but I 100% see why he was so famous because in EDM circles where a lot of people do like house uh, techno and stuff like that, I, I it's, it's not for me. So I see in, in his particular blend of like pop country into it, mm-hmm. um, I really don't Crosses like. Them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, it I sounds get it. cool. It, mean, it's catchy. And I, I see why a lot of people that just want to party and like do drugs and yeah. listen to music would be into it. That's fair. Um, but I also see why people would felt betrayed and have a boo. And they're like, what are you doing bringing real instruments into this? This is no place for instruments. Wow. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Bob. Yeah. Well, so. it's really sad. I mean, and the way that he died, he injuries from a broken wine bottle. Yeah. Which is it, intense. It's those are the ones that really keep me up at night. Just like what, what it's one thing to, to overdose, but it's another to do something like that or to, to be in such yourself. like despair. Yeah. It is really, really sad. Yeah. Um, really crazy. Uh, elsewhere in, in April, we lost, um, Bob Duro, the singer, pianist and composer best known for his work on schoolhouse rock. Oh, shit. Uh, it was amazing. Like I love Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. You probably watched it in school, as I did. Uh, People Magazine in t- 2016 said, "Quote: Not to unduly shame the American education system, but chances are that Bob Duro has more has had more impact on grammar fluency than any other individual in the 20th century." We listened to what was it? Uh, the My Hero Hands. Zero by the yeah, which is great. So th- these are covers of it because Schoolhouse Rock they ain't putting that oh, shit no. on Spotify, which is crazy to me. I feel like you would just get millions upon millions upon millions of listens who doesn't want to hear you know i'm just a bill or whatever right uh he had a crazy career though he started as a traveling music director for the boxer sugar ray robinson who like has fought muhammad ali he tried to transition into a second career as a tap dancer (laughs) (laughs) like i had no idea that was a thing he moved to the west coast and was playing in a quintet at a hollywood piano bar when he met miles davis who asked him to write a christmas song with him uh, Blue Christmas to whom it may concern was what happened. He would later collaborate with Miles Davis again for a song called I'm Hip, 
which is a tongue-in-cheek portrait of someone who was decidedly not hip. And that got him into the same circles as a guy named Dave Feischberg, and it became a signature song for Blossom Deary. Yeah. Crazy. I love Blossom Deary. Blossom Deary. I know. I had no she idea sang figure eights, unpack your adjectives. Uh, so like on there, he would get you know, bigger artists for Schoolhouse Rock. I can't and believe she did Schoolhouse Rock. She did. Uh, and Feischberg wrote, um, I'm just a bill, you know, about how does a bill become a law? Uh, so I found that amazing. And the, the song is so fun. And I love the lemon heads playing of it because mm-hmm. you can just, it's funny, just the back and forth, the banter, the stuff in the background, mm-hmm. like, well, what, but zero really, it's really fun. And I'm sure that whole album is amazing. So it's very sad. He lived a long time, 94 to be in like Miles Davis's circles. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in April, we lost Charles Neville, uh, part of the Neville Brothers. He He's best known for playing the saxophone. He's known mainly for the song Healing Chant, which won a Grammy Award for the best pop instrumental in 1990. But yeah, he's just a mainstay of the Neville Brothers, and they were a big band. I think that they're still around. I'm not actually sure. Moving on to May, Jabco Sparks. He was James Brown's drummer, died at the age of 79. Uh, with Clyde Stubblefield, they were part of... Brown's best known records like Sex Machine, I Got a Feeling, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Um, Starks played um, Get Up, I Feel Like a Sex Machine, Super Bad, which we have on the playlist, and The Payback. Uh, he's been sampled mm-hmm. alone just by LL Cool J, Kendrick Lamar, Tribe Called Quest, Roots, Black Eyed Peas. Elsewhere in May, we lost Scott Hutchinson. He was a lead singer of the Frightened Rabbits. This is a band I didn't know that much about, but I did hear about it on social media just because it's like indie rock in general but it was also kind of crazy because Hutchison tweeted out he said quote the tweet went uh be so good to everyone you love it's not a given I'm so annoyed that it's not I didn't live by the standard I didn't live by that standard and it kills me please hug your loved ones and then the next tweet said I'm away now thanks and then he disappeared and they found him two days later dead um so they were trying to get him before anything happened but that is also a very sad, sad story. And um, a lot of people afterwards did a lot of tributes and you can watch some of them online. Frank Turner was touring and did uh, a song of his Manchester orchestra as well. Craig Finn of the hold steady, Julian Baker, uh, death cap for cuties, 2018 album. Thank you for today was dedicated to his memory. That's a bummer. Whenever the suicides are always a tough one. That's a tough like, one. And to, to put it out there like yeah. that, like I'm away now. Don't, don't look for me almost. It's like, Damn. That's really sad. Also in May, we lost Reggie Lucas. He was the guitarist for Miles Davis and Madonna. Uh, he died at 65. He actually wrote a lot of Madonna's debut record, hmm. uh, including Borderline, which I fucking love. That, that shit is good. Oh, That's yeah, a I've good never, song. Okay. I mean, I think I have, but I just I just didn't really know. Uh, he played on On the Corner, which was one of uh, Miles Davis's like least appreciated records, <laughs> uh, most critically derided uh, we'll yes. say. So it's it's pretty interesting to go from that, especially for such a legend like Miles Davis, to be on a record as shit as that and then to go over to Madonna and just have like this incredible success for somebody that it was not preordained that she was going to be who Madonna is, you know? So it's it's really interesting that he was in the pop music realm like that. Oh man, yeah, Lucky Star. That's catchy oh, as hell. Lucky Star, Sounds Burning great. Up. Yeah, absolutely. And finally in May, we lost uh, Glenn Snooty. He was the accidental inventor of the fuzz tone. Oh. I love this shit. So we put Marty Robbins' Don't Worry from 1961. In the middle of that track, you hear this fuzzy. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? I guess not. Don't worry about me. 
Oh, that. So that distortion pedal, which I mean, listening to it, I, I think today we just take it for granted. We don't even think about it. That was a mistake. Um, he, at the end of the, the New York Times obituary, they quoted him as saying, we thought there was something wrong and there was something wrong. The transformer in the amplifier blew up. <laughs> and so they were going to redo the sound, but they, the song, uh, but he was like, no, no, keep it. That, I mean, that's really cool. It's really neat. And then he was like, how do I get this? How do, how do I make this sound again? Because it was it was truly an accident. And so now you can actually, he he's in the end, sold it to Gibson. Uh, they have a pedal, uh, the Maestro Fuzz Tone, and he gets royalties from sales of that tone um, from the pedal today. <laughs> so you can recreate that. He recreated it in time. And it's most famous probably uh, in the Rolling Stones 1965 song, I Can't Get No mm-hmm. Satisfaction. And, and Marty Robbins, man. God, that guy is everywhere doing all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he did also, when he's not inventing tones and pedals, he also worked with Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline. He was pretty responsible for that Nashville sound, something that drew Bob Dylan to Nashville um, to try to do not only for stuff like Nashville Skyline, but before with Blonde on Blonde. He also recorded Kansas's Dust in the Wind. Oh. I know. And he died in, in Tennessee. So, um, yeah, a, a great example of like an unsung music hero. Yeah. Um, that most people would, I would have never, never known, never heard of him. Yeah, I wonder if there was any kind of distortion at all prior to that, really. Yeah. I mean, he, he said it was, yeah, just blowing up of an amp. I mean, I'm yeah. sure people are not trying to do that intentionally, you know, and I'm sure after this, they were probably like, what can we get away with? Hmm. You know, it takes one person to do it. And then, and then we're, we're off and running. I mean, again, bands like the Beatles and stuff wouldn't really exist without guys like him fucking up. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to June, Eddie Clearwater, Chicago Bluesman. He was known as the Chief. We put Gotta Move On on our playlist. Uh, he was a self-taught musician. He was one of those guys who played, he was a le- he left-handed guitar upside down because he didn't have that type of stuff. So a lot of people credit some of his sound to learning like that. Um, he's quoted as the last of the generation of West Side guitar players who modernized the blues of the 1950s. So uh, definitely worth a listen, um, but kind of that typical Chicago um, blues style. Mm-hmm. Clarence Fountain of the Blind Boys of Alabama. He passed away at the age of 88. He sang gospel music uh, with the band for over 60 years. Uh, he lost his vision when he was two years old when a caregiver tri- tried to cure an eye infection with a lie-based solution. No! Oh, he was sent to the cool. Alabama School for the Negro Blind in Talladega, which is now part of the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind. And there he met people who became in the end, the blind boys of Alabama and they've since toured the entire world. And I mean, like they've played for every president under the sun. Um, they've just been a thing and they always resisted doing secular music. Although secular musicians, like even people like Lou Reed, which is kind of crazy, but like Bonnie Raitt, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson, uh, Neil Diamond, Tom Waits, uh, Justin Vernon of Bon Iver. Like they all, wanted them on their tracks but they never made a secular record they were always a gospel band first if you will Hmm. um mr fountain uh clarence fountain did not he was not well enough to perform for uh barack obama when he was um when they played for him in 2007 um there's only one blind boy left 
Jimmy Carter. Not that Jimmy Carter. Not that Jimmy Carter. Although he is still alive as well. Um, who's still touring with the group. That guy must be, I mean, if, this, if he's 88. Shit. Well, stop it, God, let me tell you the news. My head got wet in the midnight dew. I've been down on the bend the knees, talking to the man from Galilee. Then my God spoke and he sounded so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. Then he put one hand upon my head. Great God, the mother, let me tell you what he said. Go tell that long tongue liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the gambler, the rambler, the backbiter. Tell the daughter, mother, gonna cut her down. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Let me tell you, God. Also in June, we lost John Heisman, drummer of Coliseum who uh, was one of the early progressive rock, sort of prog rock innovators. Uh, he played in Coliseum and Tempest. Uh, he was actually a trained, like, he, he actually worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber later on. Hmm. Um, they worked on Cats, Starlight Express. Um, he did the, the music for that and did this. He's quoted as saying, don't play the drums, play the band. If you play the band, the drums will play themselves. He did He did have these streaks of... Uh, of, of weirdness come out of him. And I'm sure he indulged in that, but I think musicals require some of that weirdness. But later on, he did some, um, some albums under his own name where he collaborated with like Brazilian musicians. Uh, and he had one 1986 collection where he just played drum solos live. And he's quoted as saying, my albums are very good at parties uh, when you want people to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, later in June, we lost Jalal Nurudin, uh part of the last poets and a, grandfather of hip-hop 73 years old anyway born in july of 1944 from uh brooklyn he was a poet and musician and founding member of the last poets the grandfather of rap a title earned by for his work during um their 1970 debut self-titled album which peaked at number 29 on the billboards album charts and the follow-up this is madness widely regarded as crucial early examples of hip-hop uh Nuridin also released his own album after leaving the Lost Poets, or the Last Poets, sorry, called Hustlers Convention. Uh, it most of the, all of their stuff was spoken word, kind of over really yeah. simple like bongo beats and stuff like that. What we think of as classic beat poetry, yeah. Um, but I mean, it really is hip hop by any other name. It's super politically charged, and you know, talking about the bullshit that's going on. And yeah. Right in the middle of the '60s, civil rights '60s um, is when they formed, and then, then obviously their albums were released in the '70s, but. Uh, Nuridin specifically was like at the forefront of all of it. He, in his Hustlers Convention album, he used a little more funk. It was a little more musical, but it still very much was like poetry um, over music. Unfortunately, he's been sampled by a bunch of huge selling rappers, but never actually got that much success himself. Yeah. Um, luckily, people today, hip hop historians and, and fans alike, have been trying to kind of correct that. Um, there was even a movie made chronicling uh, the last poets and, and him specifically too, uh, directed by Mike Todd and produced by public enemies, Chuck D yes. in, uh, in 2015. If I haven't said that date yet. Anyway, so he's a, a big deal and, and really it, it's interesting because we talked about, um, love bug Starsky earlier and how that was so much hip hop, the idea of cutting records together. Like that yeah. was a lot of the formation of it. But I think as far as lyric, Lyrics and, and, and the feeling and sentiment behind them as far as what makes hip-hop hip-hop. What makes good hip-hop hip-hop. Right. Um, that you're rallying against, something that you're trying to to speak out about injustices and just, uh, um, I think that we owe a lot of that 
to the last poets and to Nerdin specifically yeah. um, versus like the sound maybe came from the later generations, Probably. but um, the spirit and the movement I think came from them. Elsewhere in June, we lost DJ Fontana. He was Elvis's longtime drummer. He did 450 recordings with the man, including Hound Dog, All Shook Up, Blue Suede Shoes, That's Now or Never. Um, you know, all the hits. A crazier um, person who I, I did not know anything about, uh, in June, we lost Yvette Horner, an accordionist, 95 years old. She played uh, like the Tour de France, the biking. You know, we know that from the Lance Armstrong mm-hmm. shit, you know, over the last fucking 20 years. But that apparently was like a huge thing. Yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that either. So like she would just, she would come after them. So the the bike race would go by and she would just have like a caravan of like putting on a show as they went through and people lost their fucking minds apparently. Um, Sometimes they had uh, 150,000 people just following along, partying it up. Like what the hell? I mean, I guess that bike race is a big deal. Weird bike race. She was born in September of 1922. Uh, began musical training at the age of four by playing the piano, but then switched to the accordion at her mother's behest. Um, she's Horner over the course of her career released over a hundred albums uh, across a myriad of, of different musical genres, and uh, continued to play music all throughout the up until her death. Actually, um, she played at fashion shows. Uh, she played obviously with the the Tour de France, but she also did. Uh, the Nutcracker reimagining um, by Maurice Berriot. Ber- she recorded with Nashville harmonica player Charlie McCoy and even did a fucking amazing rendition of Summertime. Uh, it's from an old playboy. Summertime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing that, you know, later Sublime would do. <laughs> yes. It's a completely different version of, but uh, with Boy George in 1994. And it's really rad if you haven't seen it. She, like, apparently was a really big personality. I don't know. Some of her. <laughs> old photos of her she's wearing like weird cowboy garb and uh she during, changed her hair to like a bright orange yeah like that. imagine marge from the simpsons but bright orange yes. um but yeah she just seemed like a really rad person and super talented the, she played the accordion so well and so fast and like the accordion is always feels like a, a polka or like mm. a, a classic italian just like a, definitely has a a diff- specific sound that conjures very specific images. Right. Um, but listening to her play was, it's really beautiful, especially the song we have on our playlist. I, I'm glad that I got to know. Yeah. About her. I'm glad we got to listen to it. I, the accordion is one of those instruments for me going over even stuff like band month, but just in general, Bob Dylan stuff. I mean, our first song of next season, season three is beyond here lies nothing heavy accordions on yeah. that record. So it's really cool. I've, I have a totally different concept of what the accordion can provide to music now than I used to. Cause yeah, everybody, when you say the accordion, it's like, Oh, fucking polka. Right. That's yeah. it. It's just in it, it, weird Al, you know, he's really proficient at it, but it's all often for comedic purpose mm-hmm. and you know, it doesn't have to be comedic. There can be a soul to it. Well, and Jason Webley who I, Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Before that he makes sweet, sweet pirate music with it. There you go. Your tiny wings and take to the 
2012 by promoting one of her hundreds of albums. Yeah. Um, Yvette Horner said, I cannot do without music. The bellows of my accordion is like the beating of my heart. And I mean, I think a lot of, I would hope anybody making music out there and even us just being fans of music can definitely uh, understand that. Understand that sentiment. All right. June, we also lost two artists that I never really listened to on the same day. So we'll just kind of pop them together. One of them is the rapper extension. Uh, who died? She he was shot. They were both these, these two were both shot. Uh, he was twenty years old, and and Jimmy Wapo, who was twenty one, uh, was also killed in a drive by shooting. The other one was a it looked like a robber in our but not the same incident. right? No, no one yeah. was in Florida, I believe, and the other was in Pittsburgh. Mm. So two very different places. I had heard of Extension after he died, right? Yeah, and just like the name itself, and uh, you know, apparently, without getting too far into it, because I don't know enough about any of it, he was he was uh, charged with aggravated battery of a pregnant woman and false imprisonment, and and then he got shot in what looked like just a a robbery. We have the song "Sad" on our playlist. Mm. It's real good. Spotify, I believe, pulled all of his music. For being hateful. Right, right. after he died. However, uh, someone, do you have this actual information? Yeah, so it was uh, that was a big thing because they were wanting to get rid of oh, Nazi yeah, right. hate shit. They right. wanted to get rid of fucking fascist bands. But you're, of course, going to rap into people like R. Kelly and people that are accused of, of really heinous shit. And it was Kendrick Lamar and his label that basically were like, nah, like the, you, can't, you can't do stuff like that. So it just kind of brought up the ethical of doing something like that especially for a large corporation or whatever and Spotify rescinded that so they don't have that policy anymore and it really wasn't a policy of having it it was putting them in their playlist so Spotify was going to take them out for this reason and not for any other reason I mean I don't know why Spotify again just you can take it out you don't have to do a fucking say any why yeah Yeah. exactly so i thought they were taking the music down no 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 the music was still up it's just they it wasn't gonna reach i mean that rap caviar Mm -hmm. has like a million people following it um so no so that didn't happen sad continues to this day 270 million listens 140 million on youtube yeah i mean he uh was making the like emotional rap a thing like People always go to Drake for that, but I don't know. Like Drake has his limits as far as the I death. Agree. And oh, I, I agree. I think that this kid was definitely tapping into some stuff. Well, it's that, a challenging thing because I think a lot of his like social media too was saying basically like I know I'm not a good person. I'm not the best person. I'm he's 20 years old too, and it's like I'm confident that the people who like me are going to watch me grow as I become a better person. Now, would he have been or not? Who will ever know? And that's what makes this whole thing so tricky because we have eras and eras of music we have a rock and roll as a genre Mm -hmm. of of just going to the extremes Mm -hmm. was created by guess who just a bunch of white kids who got a fuck ton of money and it's just i I think it has more to do with young people having all the money and not knowing what to fucking do with it and all of a sudden you're responsible for the feelings and emotions and and business interests of all these people you probably have never met in your life oh yeah it must be a crazy situation not to excuse anybody's personal um you know behavior yeah behavior i mean come on beating up people is never going to be great. It's no. never going to look great. No. Um, so yeah, that was an, an insane thing, especially when you listen to sad, it's a very mellow, sweet sound, you know, song. It's very interesting. Very weird. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Wapo was another, um, another artist who was shot in Pittsburgh. 
um, in the Hill District. And um, in the CNN article, they described him as, quote, the trap star was considered by many to be the heir apparent of fellow Pittsburgh rappers, Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller, um, to become one of the heavyweights of hip hop. So uh, we put on the song Today's a Good Day. Um, I, that's more of a collaboration, I think, with a bunch of other people. But you can still find some of his music on Spotify. But there's not a, there's not a lot, no, unlike yeah. with um, Extension. So Later in June, we lost Matt Murphy, blues guitarist. Um, he's played with Helen Wolf, Etta James, Chuck Berry. We've mentioned Etta James like five times now. <laughs> uh, Memphis Slim. Uh, he was also a member of the Blues Brothers Band. Um, very interesting. We put on Matt's Guitar Boogie number two, which is actually really fun. Kind of enjoyed that. June, we also lost Vinnie Paul of Pantera. Did you ever listen to Pantera? I mean, I've, everyone's heard Respect, right? Yeah. Respect. Walk. Are yeah. you talking to me? Are you talking to me? That song? Yeah. That, that was good. That was good. You're really good at that vocal range. I don't have that. And then they were number one in 1994 with Far Behind Driven. Sold 1.4 million copies. But then they broke up. Uh, I've got one friend of mine who was like obsessed with Pantera. Oh, yeah. I never cared. I thought that they were relevant. I thought they were still making music into like my teenage years but they broke up in fucking 2000 i had no idea mm. that was wild um i but however it all comes together later because i do remember the band super joint ritual being a band and he was part of that too oh. after the band and he played his brother was Dimebag daryl yeah which i remember when he got shot and that was a fucking crazy incident it still is guy just got up on stage and fucking killed him yeah it's unbelievable february 2004 columbus ohio um, yeah, Nathan M. Gale, former Marine, stormed the stage minutes before the performance. 250 people there just shot him, shot three other people as well. Um, it's wild in the age of that sort of big things happening. You know, was the Eagles of Death Metal in Paris? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just shows in general, fucking the Vegas, you know, country music festival. It's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, obviously, it's been happening for a long time, but I remember that one in speci- specifically. But yeah, I didn't realize they were brothers. I didn't and realize I they were brothers too. I seen Vinnie Paul too because he had a very Lemmy look about him. Exactly. I was like, that's the one that isn't Lemmy. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, Vinnie Paul. <laughs> Walk and um, yeah. the Cowboys from Hell were definitely Cowboys songs that yeah. I've heard and, and sang on the radio. And I'm sure we've heard many a person smoking a joint riffing in the corner <laughs> playing some Pantera licks. I can almost guarantee it. Um David Bianco died in in June as well. Um, he he started at a janitor. He started as a janitor at the record plant in Los Angeles, and eventually worked his way up to record and produce artists like Bob Dylan, who he was an engineer on Together Through Life and Christmas in the Heart. What? Wow! You can go back and listen to our Christmas episode <laughs> from the other day, and you can listen to Beyond Here Lies Nothing, our first song off of Together Through Life in February of 2019. He also recorded with. Uh, or produced uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Mick Jagger, ACDC. Uh, he also got, won a Grammy for for Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Hmm. R.I.P. Tom Petty. Right, yeah. Another big one that we don't need to linger on too much is more just for the wild success of his family, but Joe Jackson, the patriarch of the Jackson family, um, who beat his children into success. international pop stardom, <laughs> uh, he died. He died in 89. I kind of never... Just didn't think about it, him still being around. Janet Jackson is obviously on some like new career ascension from where she was before. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure we'll keep hearing from the Jackson family for the next, you know, rest of existence. And finally, in June, we lost Steve Soto. This one was particularly tough because he was just a, he was a punk pioneer. Uh, he was a founder of the Adolescence, founder of uh, Agent Orange, two bands that are incredible. If you haven't listened to, Agent Oranges or the uh, the adolescents' first records, uh, the Blue Record and and Living in Darkness. Um, 
Yeah, these songs are huge. Amoeba was on like the Tony Hawk. Oh yeah, I definitely soundtrack. heard that. So as soon as I listened to Amoeba, I was like, Amoeba. "Oh man, that guy!" Yeah, yeah. So he was the the writer singer. He's fifty four. He he died. They were just about to go on tour in Europe. They just toured the U S. Uh, it's a bummer. The Adolescents just released a record the other year. So totally, totally sucks. They were one of the first hardcore bands to be widely distributed throughout the U S. Um, you know, they were there in the nineteen ninety seven. All right, Kelly, we're halfway through July. We lost Henry Butler. He was a New Orleans jazz pianist, 69 uh, years old. He was famous for playing with uh, Jelly Roll Martin, uh, mm-hmm. James Booker, uh, Tuts Washington, Fats Domino, Alan Toussaint, who we talked about a lot during band month, Dr. John. And he was uh, he was um, also shit, he also attended the Louisiana State School for the Blind in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was well after the... Uh, the Blind Boys of Alabama, I mean, not well after, but definitely more, more than enough after. Um, but he studied piano along with drums and trombone. He learned to read classical music on Braille. I find that fucking fascinating to yeah. read Braille and to be able to make music like that. Um, and then c- during Katrina, his house got completely flooded and um, a lot of his archival tapes were lost forever. So kind of a bummer. Also in July, we lost Vince Martin. He's known for his work with the Terriers. Cindy, oh, Cindy, 1956. Um, I feel like I've heard that song before. He was like an early folk musician who influenced the Grateful Dead and the Birds, but never really saw his due. Um, He has a pretty famous album that people still listen to today from 1964 called Tear Down These Walls that he performed with Fred Neal, the singer-songwriter. In 1969, he released a record called If the Jasmine Don't Get You, The Bay Breeze Will. What's interesting about that album is that it was recorded with the same band that recorded Nashville Skyline with Bob Dylan. No shit. No shit. So he, I, I don't know, was he still playing music up until after the 1960s? I don't know. Can't mm-hmm. really tell you. And then at the end of July, we lost Adrian Cronauer. He brought music to Vietnam, if you've ever seen or probably have heard of Robin Williams. And good morning, Vietnam. Oh, that was him. That was him. Hmm. So very interesting and kind of a crazy, yeah, he was the DJ for Armed Forces Radio. Uh, and he controversially brought rock and roll to the soldiers in Vietnam. So a lot of that soundtrack that you hear that's now completely cliche, it was probably very, very relevant at that moment. Moving on to August, band song everyone's heard of, Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, guitarist Ed King for Leonard Skinnerd, he passed away this year. He famously was part of the band. He's actually the one counting one, two, three in the intro for Sweet Home Alabama and was part of their first couple of records but he left the band basically because he, he said, I'm a hippie from California. I'm not into kind of just the violence. And uh, Ronnie Van Sant actually went to jail for a night because he, Ed King, broke a string on stage and he fucking freaked out and like beat up their like manager or something oh like God. that. Yeah, for, for a fucking string. I mean, calm down, my dude. Um, and then, of course, Leonard Skinner, insanely all most of them died in a plane crash. Yeah, I didn't know that. And yeah, so that was the um, 
So some of them got back together and he reformed. Uh, he got back in the band in 1987 and played for until 1996 when he was a little too sick at that point and obviously lived another 25 years. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of amazing. And he'll always be remembered for Sweet Hall in Alabama, which is, a, I re-listened to that song. I kind of have connotations of it as being kind of a, stupid song but it's actually a very progressive song and uh mentions people like george wallace and and things that were happening at the time and they're just like we don't want no fucking george wallace state get that shit out of here like alabama doesn't have to be some backward segregationist nonsense so good job leonard skinner also in august uh thomas stanko jazz trumper died at the age of 76 he was one of the only non-americans to be included in the smithsonian anthology of jazz released in 2011 there's 111 songs on there so his was the only one not from america which is kind of nuts he actually heard jazz music through um voice of america radio which we would pipe into the communist nations uh during the cold war so we actually heard uh dave brubeck's quartet in krakow and he was like this is what I want. He said the message was freedom. Jazz was a synonym of Western culture of freedom of a different style of life. I've been there. Krakow? Mm-hmm. Nice. Stay there for a month. Did you hear Voice of America Radio? I did not. The Dave Brubeck Quartet? Did not. No? Okay. We also lost Lori Collins, a rockabilly singer, also 76 years old. Um, she was known for Hot Rod, which had the lyrics, I'm only 14, but I'm going on 15, but I want to be 16 so I can get a hot rod. (laughs) But I don't think anybody was thinking about hot rods, not the cars. Yeah, it was, the song's rad and she's awesome. And Wanda Jackson is is definitely somebody that I know. (laughs) I've heard of before too. Like it's, I think that women, uh, weirdly, as in many other, the whole everything, uh, get overlooked in rockabilly because it's such like a dudely thing, but, they were definitely out there. Yeah, they're kind of just the candy on yeah on other the people's songs. Well, and I think it, even in the New York Times obituary, they acknowledge as such. You know, she got forgotten for so long because when you think about it, it's that Nashville sound just sort of taken over, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess there were never any women. <laughs> Another woman uh, also making waves in a, a normally male-dominated music, uh, Jill Janis, lead singer of a band, a metal band called Huntress. Jill Janis, born in September of 1975 from the Catskills area in New York. As a kid, she actually was practicing opera um, before becoming interested in heavy metal. And she started her career as a topless DJ, which I did not know that was a thing, mm, uh, as well as a cabaret performer. Um, she was a lead singer on all three Huntress albums, which is what she's most known for. But the the band broke up in 2015. She also worked with other musical acts uh, and cover bands such as uh, Starbreakers and Chelsea Girls and helped co-write the rock opera Victory, a rock opera, with apparently internationally renowned guitarist, singer, and songwriter Angus Clark, who I've never heard of before. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, though. Everybody loves that. Sure. Um, 
yeah she was in her personal life she was a a pagan pretty devout as much she, uh, her lyrics um in huntress were often did you about ever that kind listen of stuff. i never did mm-hmm. um but uh, and also she spoke a lot about mental illness and wrote mm-hmm. a lot about mental illness of which she suffered bipolar i think borderline disorder and as well as schizophrenia um she struggled a lot throughout her whole life with these issues i mean it was the reason that she i think stepped away from huntress and um she i don't know lived a tough but very interesting life yeah and uh it's again suicides are hard i it just says outside portland she committed suicide outside portland i tried to find and there's nothing else yeah like outside i mean that could really be almost anywhere else in oregon somebody could be like outside portland (laughs) outside portland oh eugene like okay that is outside portland yeah but she died in New York City, outside Portland. Yeah, yeah. She, the cabaret she worked at was actually at the window on the world, windows on the world. Yeah, there was like a lounge, I think, on like one of the top floors of the World Trade Center. She, yeah, worked there until the night before September 11, um, and that was on a Tuesday. So she probably that Sunday probably wrapped it up, yeah. whatever gig she was doing or whatever was happening, and then the attacks were on a Tuesday, which is nuts. So. Which is it's pretty intense that you would you know, narrowly avoid catastrophe. And yeah. And she might not have even obviously been there at eight in the morning, but like still right, yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. So RIP Jill Janice. RIP. Also in August, uh, Morgana King, she was a jazz singer and an actress in the Godfather. She had never acted before, but, um, she was, she was asked. However, hilariously, when her character dies in the Godfather two, she said that her being in a casket was n- not acting. Um, she said, I, what the lines, what lines can I deliver from a casket? <laughs> so she didn't get into the casket cause she was probably just a little too freaked out by it. So instead Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the film, his mother got in the <laughs> casket for her to be the person, which is nuts to me. But yeah, she was also a jazz singer. Um, the song, it's a quiet thing we have on there. It's really good. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, just. Uh, you know, it's not otherworldly. It's not transformative for me, but it's it's a really interesting thing. And I, I find it really interesting when she um went off to do acting and to be a part of something like The Godfather, which, what was it before? The Vic Danum or whatever? Oh, Damone, yeah, Vic Damone, Who yeah. said, no, I don't even want to be in the movie. Bad choice, bro. I mean, you did fine with your career and your life, but like, what a mistake. And nobody could have ever guessed, I mean, that The Godfather movies would be still acclaimed as the best movies of all time on the 16th my mom's birthday we lost aretha franklin queen of soul don't really need to go into this we definitely talked and had a lot of uh, songs a big discussion about it at the time i forget what episode it was but you can go back to our august episodes for that uh in september we lost somebody interesting uh randy weston who was a pianist who traced the roots of jazz back to africa he was 92 years old it's really interesting because you don't often think about it right off the bat but a lot of his scholarship sort of at the time it, everybody it was like an American form and it was just American, but nobody wanted to trace it back further to Africa. And so a lot of his research and scholarship, which is broadly accepted is that jazz is at its core in African music. He said later in 2003, when it, wherever I go, I try to explain that if you love music, you have to know where it came from, whether you say jazz or blues or bossa nova or samba salsa All these names are all Africa's contributions to the Western Hemisphere. If you take out the African elements of our music, you would have nothing. So it's really interesting. And he lived at a time where, um, you know, Africa was breaking free of colonialism. Um, We were deconstructing a lot of 
what we thought about culture and about the world. And he joined a lot of stuff, the United Nations Jazz Society, the American Society of African Culture. So he was a part of this movement of like trying to educate people about where music comes from. And it's not just, you know, it didn't just grow out of nowhere. It grew out of slavery. It grew out of transportation. It grew out of being brought over in chains to another nation. Um, And it grew out of that experience in Africa. It grows out of the grounds that we all come out of and we can all contribute to. And I find that fascinating. And he's kind of, he was in every sort of, um, yeah, he, he was there in Africa in the diaspora. You remember uh, the, in I shall be free when Bob Dylan mentions Ula Tunji. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he hung out with the drummer Ula Tunji in Africa. Um, working. Yeah. Just basically on education, which I think is, is really fascinating and trying to get people to understand. Also in September, we lost Mac Miller. 26 years old. He was definitely somebody that I knew by name. Well, famously from the t-shirt worn by uh, Froggy Fresh, a.k.a. Krispy Kreme's cohort uh, in all of his music videos. Oh, my God. No, never would have put in there. Holy shit, that's right. Yeah, it's because that was, we were watching this in Colorado, so it must have been seven years ago. 2011 was when he was big. Uh, Blue Side Park. Blue Side Park was the first big one. The The first indie album to go to number one. In 16 years at that Holy point. Shit. So, yeah, he just released Swimming, his fifth full length. Uh, we put self-care on there, not to be sort of morbid or anything, but because it's a beautiful song, and I think it's like a testament to what he wanted out of his own demons, but ne- will never have the chance to wrestle with. Um, yeah, it's, it's really sad. no surprise, though, and you can find me. On the 11th of September, we lost Frashi Taha. He uh, 59 years old, a French singer of North African roots. Uh, apparently, um, just for us, he met the he met the Clash in 1981. Handed them a demo tape, um, and some believe that he was the inspiration for Rock the Casbah. 1982's Rock the Casbah. He would cover that as a solo artist, retitling it Rock El Casbah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he his last his last uh, LP was. Two, 2013 for Zoom, which featured uh, Brian Eno and Mick Jones, who was the guitarist for The Clash, on there as well. Also in September, we lost Big J Neely. He was a pioneer of rock with huge sax. I didn't know that song. <laughs> huge sax. Yes. So you are probably probably mad at, at him. I mean, I'm pretty anti-saxophones. So what you're saying is music. that you're glad that Big J Neely, uh, McNeely is gone. That's absolutely what I'm saying. No, of course not. And I mean, it, there's definitely been moments where I've been po- proved wrong, but I would say in mass, usually, blanket statement, sax, get out of here. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's riding on that train with no. you. Clarence Clemens, of course, the saxophonist for Bruce Springsteen, cites him as a huge example. But you know who else does? Jimi Hendrix. You saw him perform in the 1950s. And a lot of the show-stopping moves, the guitar slinging, the burning, all that stuff. I mean, the burning less so. Was all inspired by Big J. McNeely. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And from the New York Times, uh, quote, hailed as the king of the honkers. 
Mr. McNeely was at the forefront of a group of post-bop saxophonists who, in the late 1940s, abandoned the heady reveries of jazz for a more gut-bucket pleasures of rhythm and blues. Gut-bucket! In the process, he played a pivotal role in establishing the saxophone before the electric guitar supplanted it as a featured instrument among soloists at the dawn of rock and roll. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, And we listened to Deacon's Hop, which is uh, a song that's also enshrined in the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, which we have been to. We did not search out at the time the Big J McNeely um, enshrinement of that. I wonder if it's like a saxophone as part of all the guitars. I wouldn't be shocked. You know, the huge guitar wall that like goes up to the ceiling. That'd be pretty interesting. And at the end of September, we lost two more. Um, Marty Balin, uh, the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane, died at the age of 76. Um, we we like Jefferson Airplane. We like some of the weird tingly stuff. I mean, Ask Alice is he, fucking fantastic, yeah, but he is not singing on that. Right. Song. So yeah. we put we put today on there because he did, and famously that was kind of the rub. A lot of their um, songs they also feature another singer, and he would then eventually leave the band. Um, he said, "Quote why he left." It was a period of cocaine then. Everybody took cocaine. And people I would work with, they would yell at you and it got intense. The airplane was on that kind of a trip. You know, I personally just drank alcohol. But some chemicals made people crazy, very selfish. And it just wasn't fun for me to be around. So I bailed. And then later he would uh, create Jefferson Starship, um, which was, uh, you know, just uh, basically the 70s version of Jefferson Airplane. I love that there's a Jefferson Airplane and then a Jefferson Starship. Mm -hmm. That's fucking amazing. Natural evolution. Absolutely. And then uh, after he left that and was done, he uh, turned down an offer to become the lead singer of a a new San Francisco band, Journey. (laughs) Good call there, my friend. That would be weird. Right? Different. I mean, because Steve Perry is... Uh, is the uh, journey sound so the journey sound so like it would be really weird if it wasn't steve barry true i'm glad you kept it neutral statements not good not bad i mean just i do like sound. journey <laughs> neutral neutral i'm gonna be neutral it's <laughs> steve perry's dead i believe so yeah all right Pete. and at the end of september we lost otis rush uh, he was one of the pioneering guitarists for the Chicago blues scene as well. Mike Bloomfield in 1968 said of his influence, quote, the rules have been laid down for um, young white blues bands. I uh, told Rolling Stone, you had to be as good as Otis Rush. We listened to I Can't Quit You, Baby. Again, just like a perfect encapsulation of Chicago blues. We've had a couple blues Chicago blues musicians on this playlist. And I think this is fantastic. And obviously he, he impacted Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac, Eric Clapton, people you know, cite him as a, as a huge influence. And of course, Led Zeppelin covered them in their 1969 debut, uh, which I can't quit you, baby, which is probably a more famous version of course than that. All right. Two more months to go, Kelly in October. We listened to Charles Aznavour, uh, a French crooner. He was 94 years old. He's one of the most celebrated popular singers in the world. In French, he mainly sung in French. Uh, La Bohème is what we have on our playlist. Um, he wrote more than a thousand songs uh, and, and sang them in French, Armenian, English, German, Italian, Spanish, and Yiddish. 
Uh, by some estimates, he sold close to 200 million records. He appeared in more than 60 films, even parts when he was just a child. He did come to, into, to New York in 1963, and he played out Carnegie Hall. And guess who was there? Bob Dylan. In the Listening to him play? Listening to him play. What? He later said that it was one of the greatest live performances he ever witnessed. I mean, that song, La Boheme, is definitely, I've heard before, yeah. it's beautiful. It's kind of like a, a classic. Um, totally. Yeah. It's, and he, and I, I think, again, this is probably a great looking as to why Bob Dylan is still going after all these years. This guy was still playing concerts up until a couple of years ago. He's 94. Why not? So like this could. If you can I do think, it and you want to. Exactly. And so I think Bob Dylan is like, has mad respect for people like this that just play music because it's in their soul. So very, very interesting. Also on the first, we lost Jerry Gonzalez, who was a Latin jazz trumpet player, 69 years old. He was a member of the Fort Apache band and played more than 40 years with his bass playing brother, Andy Gonzalez. Uh, he died in Madrid. Uh, apparently this one was not because he was sick or anything. He actually died of smoke inhalation that oh. he suffered during a fire in his house. So that's, that's kind bummer. of a bummer. And a lot of the time that I was going through a lot of this stuff, I realized that a lot of these musicians went to art schools, went to mm. music schools. Um, he said of his time at the, at the high school of music and art in Manhattan, quote, it opened my head to classical music. I didn't know anything about Bach, Maitsover, Maitsover, Mozart, Beethoven, Straczynski. It was street music. I knew that they existed, but I had never studied them. Uh, and so I think a lot of people credit him for influ- taking the, the, the Western canon, if you will, and influencing that with you know complex Latin jazz rhythms uh, and performing um, on things like the congas. He was apparently one of the greatest conga players in the world and a great trumpet player as well. So, And I love this song. Uh, bebop is what we have on there mm-hmm. fucking cool it's really cool yeah it's it's uh i think americans are very america-centric and we miss a lot of international bands and mm-hmm. musicians and this is definitely somebody i had no idea was a person and i'm glad i found out about them no and he's even he's american is he i'm pretty sure yeah i mean he went to school in, in new york so I mean, but that's the thing. It's like world music, even if they're in America, right. they're playing still, things that are not part of what we niche. do. It's still niche. Oh, yeah, totally. When you have a, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm with you. Like, and that's what makes it even crazier is when you're like, oh, my neighbor. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, your neighbor can be a world musician, if right, you will, yeah. and not be popular at all in America because we don't listen to that kind of stuff. Totally. I think that's the benefit of our playlist. Like being able to hear these type of types of music, I would never hear more than half of this playlist ever oh yeah a lot of these people never listen to um but i will i will listen to i've added them to like playlists that i keep for the future and i can't wait to hear them again because some of these songs are really fucking good and i'm kind of sad that they weren't in my life before yeah also in october we lost we lost jeff emmerich uh he recorded the beatles in their prime he was um working worked with them from revolver all the way to their breakup in 1970 he would later work with cheap trick super tramp elvis costello but it was really his time especially on sergeant peppers that he's most remembered for he would take uh you know sounds like clocks uh, books um things like that and just like make crazy noises it's like a foley artist exactly and it's amazing and um i i think i think his contribution and a lot of that stuff with the beatles is really hard to talk about because we don't know the full stories or anything like that but they all credit one another as being super influential on one another but it's weird to think of like just the world without the beatles like Mm. it's almost an impossibility to just take them out and pretend like they never existed. So it's always tough. And so that's always a, a huge bummer, even though after they broke up, a lot of them just sort of just went away. It was really a special time together. 
Uh, in October, we also lost uh, we also lost a baritone sax trailblazer, uh, Hammett Blewett. He um, he took the uh, he he said most people he quote most people who play the baritone don't approach it like the awesome instrument that it is. They approach it as if it's something docile, like a servant type in- instrument. I don't approach it that way. I approach it as if it were a lead voice and not necessarily here to uphold the altos, tenors, or sopranos. I think you can tell on on the song that we put on there, Step In, which I believe, um, no, it's not one of the 14-minute long songs. I think it's only about five minutes. Um, but he, it's got that baritone sax sound, which is unique. It's very interesting. It sounds really cool. Um, he would. Uh, he was one of the last bands with Charles Mingus. Um, in 1976, he recorded uh, a song called Birthright, uh, or an album called Birthright, where he played baritone saxophone alone for 40 minutes. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, and then he, of course, uh, joined the, the World Saxophone Quartet, which I think still plays to this day, even though they've swapped members or whatever. Um, and they would just play a mix of uh, gospel to free jazz and just tour the world and play cool shit. <laughs> so pretty interesting. Um, if you're looking for weird things, I, I would say that's one of them. On the 12th, we lost uh, Angelina Maria, Brazilian singer. Uh, this one was really cool. She um, was huge in Brazil. She recorded 650 songs, including 20 films. Um, she was part of that tabloid world. I'm sure people like Frank Sinatra and stuff. Oh, one of the, like the, the old Hollywood vibe. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she dealt with a lot of that stuff. And like when she would, uh, she got a divorce, it'd be like, oh my God. Right. I guess she broke taboos like that, married four times. Um, she married um, somebody when she was 52 and he was 18. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Yeah, she, yeah, he was 18, yeah. So breaking stereotypes, breaking shit. Um, and the song is really pretty. Um, it's hard when you're just, it's got a very specific vibe mm-hmm. and it does not disappoint. So very interesting. On the 30th, um, Rico Puna, Rico Puno, um, he was a soul music pioneer in the Philippines. Uh, he passed away. He did a lot of covering of American hits uh, along the way, including uh, Barbara Streisand's The Way You Were, Marvin Gaye's Baby I'm, the, Baby I'm For Real. And uh, yeah, so he benefited from from Fernando Marcos, Marcos, who was the um, dictator of the Philippines until 1986. Uh, he came up in the schools that Marcos created to basically create talent for the country to basically make a music export. Mm. So even to this day, even though the Marcos regime is like every dictatorship responsible for tons of abuses and tons of murder, um, he doesn't really repudiate that because... He wouldn't be a person if it weren't for that. Um, so that's a very, as I was reading his obituary, it got more and more kind of complicated. That's like another complication. That's like less of an extension, sort of a personal right. uh, injury. It's more of like, wow, your entire existence, not that you aren't talented or you would have never been found, unfortunately, because there were no structures for it. If not for this. If not for this thing. So it's it's kind of a weird, that, that sucks. That's yeah. tough. All right, we're almost done. November, Sonny Fortune, saxophonist of urgency and grace, says the New York Times, died at the age of 79. He was, quote, comfortably corralled. Many He comfortably corralled many of the sounds of the 1970s in New York. Straight ahead jazz, jittery funk fusion, the Pan-African avant-garde, and salsa dura, hard salsa. Uh, this was a 14-minute long song on our okay, playlist. Yeah. This, was the, this was the long one. Uh, he said, quote, the thing I love... The thing that I love about music itself is that it has no boundaries, Mr. Fortune said. Uh, it ex- 
it expands itself as far as your imagination can go. He ended up playing with like John Coltrane. He was in Miles Davis's bands. And then we lost somebody who I, this is a band that I was never really, I, I never really heard of. Uh, Hardy Fox was a member of the avant-garde band that still exists called The Residents. Uh, he died at the age of 73. Yeah, so I had never heard of The Residents. And uh, it, they're like such an enigmatic group. That's like their whole shtick is that so cool. this we're not sure we exist. No one's in or not in this band. Uh, but to this day, yeah, they still play to this day. You don't know who they are. Yes. So fun. which is incredible, especially in the Internet age to still. remain that that anonymous mm-hmm. is just like impossible now. Um, he was born sometime in 1945. I, I mean, like, again, <laughs> what? That's pretty great. <laughs> who do you who is this in Texas? Um or someplace yeah. like Texas. And we're pretty sure it was one of the four <laughs> anonymous founding members of the group um, and its primary mu- musical composer until he left in 2016. Um, a statement from the resident's Twitter when after uh, Fox passed away was, it's unique, highly refined, and prolific, blessed with a vital sense of aesthetics, a keen ear, and an exquisite love of the observed. Um, so the resident's, if you don't know, like I did not know, did they're not. like a cr- exceptionally avant-garde band from San Francisco. Yeah. Who it's like, is it music? What is music? They make you do that kind of stuff, yeah. where like it's just, it's more of an art collective than any, like an art collective, but only for your ears. Whereas like some other groups that are also an art collective, make art and produce theater and stuff. I think they basically just do it all through their music, but they also have weird live performances too. And that's really and that's probably, where the shtick comes in. And that's like, where I would go and see them. I couldn't listen to Constantinople more than once. Oh, right. But even that is more catchy than some of the other stuff that I popped on just to mm-hmm. see how weird it got. It's strange, but yeah. I would definitely go see them live. But apparently every time they tour, they like play with like new, like right now it's like there's a cow as part of the band. Like sure. I went to their website and it was like one of the members is dressed as a cow. The others are like shepherds or something. Sure. Why not? Apparently the their biggest um, aesthetic choice that was made people identify them was their they wore eyeball masks. Crazy. Which, and which are pretty intense. That's the cover of his obituary on the New yeah, York Times. And with a little top hat amazing it's really cool it's really cool um they i guess there's a little anecdote about the way that they found their name was um they mailed in a single as the group they were before and it was returned uh, anonymously they did they just sent it in with no name no name yep. and it was returned addressed the residents of yep. whatever building it mm-hmm. came from so <laughs> that was pretty rad it's amazing um the they also they formed their own little management company and they call themselves the cryptic corporation, meaning like that's essentially their label is, so is the cryptic corporation. And uh, yeah, I mean, Fox was a part of, of all that. It's, it's hard to talk about him because we don't know anything about him. And that was kind of his well, to this day. His he says thing. I wasn't part of I, the band. Yeah, I wasn't in the band. Yeah. Um, and he kept his involvement a secret until just last year, yeah. which is intense. What a fun little thing. Cause yeah. like even, and like everybody owes their, a little bit of something. Every masked um, musician well, owes a little bit they of this say, stuff to them. I mean, Kiss, Guar, mm-hmm. Dead Mouse found inspiration. Mm-hmm. MF Doom, you know, uh, putting on the masks like that. Right. And of course, you move to the Slipknots and the mm-hmm. fucking weirdos and, and new metal like right. that. Yeah. Uh, but they were much better than fucking, what's his name, Stone Sour Guy, at yeah. keeping their fucking identities a secret. Corey Taylor. Yeah. Corey Taylor. See, we shouldn't know your name, Corey. You should still be <laughs> the guy behind the, the mask. fucking mask, yeah. man. What's going on? 
but anyway really cool and it's it's an interesting little experiment to check out and uh r.i.p all right a few more uh we lost tony joe white this year 75 years old at the time he uh is best known for his 1969 song polk salad annie he also wrote rainy night in georgia um he wrote a couple of other stuff for um for Mike, Mark Hoffler, who we've talked about, um, not only for our Dire Straits stuff, but also for just playing with Bob Dylan on on a few records and producing some stuff. But, I mean, Elvis and Tom Jones covered Polk Salad Annie. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a Vine song. I, I don't know how amazing it is, but he is a really prolific artist. And he was making albums up to the time he passed away, which wow. was uh, earlier this year. So, And then uh, elsewhere in November, just a couple months ago, we lost Roy Hargrove. Um, 49 years old, unfortunately. Nate Chinnon, uh, in a 2008 review of his last album, Ear Food, in the New York Times, said, quote, he rarely sounds as if he stepped out of a time machine. At brisk tempos, he summons a terrific clarity and tension, leaning against the current of his rhythm section. At the slower crawl, playing fuglehorn, he gives each melody the equivalent of a spa treatment. He was big in the 1990s. He was a part of the Soulquarians movement, a loose collection of musicians in hip-hop and neo-soul that included Questlove, Erica Badu, Common, D'Angelo. Um, he played on Voodoo by D'Angelo, um, Erica Badu's Mama's Gun. So he was laying down some of that stuff out of Electric Lady Studios in Manhattan. And apparently in the 90s, that just became the place to go, uh, kind of a little jazz renaissance. And uh, they set up a club. He, with vocalist Leslie Harrison and Dale Fitzgerald, founded the Jazz Gallery in downtown New York that's still exist today and they highlight young jazz musicians and he's a part of a bunch of clubs uh, near the end of those clubs lives clubs that have been around since the 1920s and 30s and he was kind of there as they were going away so it must have been a, a trip for him to be so lauded as like the the next wave of jazz while a lot of the old institutions were crumbling and then it was kind of on him to help create new ones and unfortunately he passed away so young um yeah listening to it um i don't we put the song trust on there but i was actually listening to his his ear food with the quintet instead of him just playing trumpet Mm -hmm. it's really it's really great um it's really fun with the piano and everything and it sounds really good so highly recommend it yeah i was really kind of embarrassed because i didn't i'd never heard his name before neither i but i like the soulquarians that's my peak top Mm -hmm. hip-hop uh uh of ever and to like not know that this guy was but now you do that That's, sound yeah is just like yeah um jay dilla who is who was part of the group who is um one of my favorite producers djs who also passed away mm. uh, i think in 2004 um so yeah the soul aquarians were are like all those albums it's like a collection of like about seven albums d'angelo's voodoo uh, comments like water for chocolate mm. um obviously erica badu's album they mentioned um as well as the the roots album yeah. Um, it just that sound that's my favorite sound of music of hip-hop whether or not there are lyrics over it because i love jay dilla stuff and his was mostly instrumental and it, it was that ability to understand what things fit well he was such a great producer and to know that that roy hargrove was um yeah that that's hugely responsible for a lot of what went down is i'm glad i know about it now as a good point yeah. no it's fair and uh, going forward when you hear his name in the future you're going to remember. That's the whole point of all of this is just to kind of put a seed there for what comes after. Uh, finally, well, we have two more. Uh, on the 15th of November, we lost Roy Clark, uh, the face of country music on Hee Haw, 85 mm. years old. Hee Haw was a huge thing. I'm sure my parents 
watched the shit out of it. Apparently, <laughs> picking and grinning was kind of the thing. Okay. Uh, um, he he said he he went all over the world, and people would just be like, "I'm a picking," and then he would have to say, "And I'm a grinning," and I'm like, "That's oh. really fun." And so oh. like, so the entire run, I mean, it was about two decades for the show, but it was a huge thing. He, um, as somebody who's Brenda Branson, Missouri, I don't want to get on my Missouri horse too hard, but like he had a pivotal role in creating Branson, Missouri as the town that it is um, that sort of caters to this kind of stuff. And you can go to the Roy Clark celebrity theater where a lot of bands tour to this day, you know, 1500 seats. That's a lot of people, people coming all over to go to Branson. Um, but he was, he was really interesting cause he went, he was one of the first country musicians, American musicians too, to go to the Soviet union in the 1970s. I played 18 dates in the Soviet union. Hmm. It's kind of a novelty act in a way because he's obviously a, on hee haw and he's a, I'm a, you know, he's like a cowboy kind of guy. What is hee haw? It's like a variety show. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, and it's just like, um, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a full episode, but it's basically, I mean, it's it's just, it's like country music, but there's like skits. It's, it's just okay. a variety show. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. But he's just, you know, he's a talented musician, but he was also a very funny guy. Yeah, and he would take songs by like Louis Armstrong, Glenn Miller, um, and even including Charles Aznavour. Aznavour. Oh yeah. As Aznavour. Charles Aznavour. Aznavour. Wow, that's <laughs> a tough one. He would take songs by them and make them top ten hits, um, hmm. including uh, uh, you know top top ten, top twenty in, in the nineteen sixties and beyond. Uh, he's a member of the Grand Old Opry in 1987 and inducted to the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2009. Wow. And last one that we have here, um, because again, we were recording this in early December, um, recently just passed away right at the end of uh, November, uh, Wolfgang Zuckerman. He is famous for a book called The Modern Harpsichord. He said, quote, I decided, well, he said, quote, realizing that most people approach the harpsichord with caution, the way they do a vicious dog, I decided that the only way that they might lose their fear of the harpsichord maintenance was to go through the process of building the instrument themselves. Hmm. Do you remember a time when people were afraid of harpsichords? Who knew? An era in American history that has long passed. Um, the vicious the vicious decade of the harpsichord. It's long gone. He wrote a book called The Modern Harpsichord in 1969 where he created a, a low-cost do-it-yourself harpsichord kit essentially uh referred to as a z box 35 pound uh box containing a keyboard strings plectrums or pluckers jacks and tuning pins but not the wood for the cabinet they would have to go to the lumber yard for that but you can build your own wow harpsichord which again why who was making a fucking harpsichord um bizarre but a harpsichord is definitely an instrument definitely mm-hmm. a thing in music and we would again be remiss not to not to discuss it. So, hmm. have you ever played a harpsichord? No, I mean it looks like a piano. Yeah, I'm sure I've heard the sound before. Totally, but yeah. So you have not made. You probably made like three or four harpsichords. Everyone's made a harpsichord, right? Yeah. Well, once it had an easy, had to do it yourself, do it yourself, kit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got a couple Z boxes just lying around. Just the lying around. House. All right, Kelly. So that's the end. Uh, if I was going to pick my favorite songs, just like straight up, I I, I highlight "Grazing in the Grass." Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals, The Woodpile, Don't Worry by Marty Robbins, The Kettle by Coliseum, Bloodstains and Amoeba, of course, uh, The African Cookbook by Randy Weston, mainly for the challenge. That's like a long song, like mm. 14 minutes. And I find that like starting to try to get into jazz. Those are tough, tough songs to like 
really keep your attention, especially if you don't have it. And I want to say sad and self care. I'm kind of tragic ends uh, for both of them. Those songs are really remarkable. And I don't know. Sucks. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the conversation we have always had and we'll always have about art from artists. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, I think it's okay to listen to them and understand yeah, as long as you have the context. Yeah, yeah, context is everything, it's right? It's like Randy Weston said, yeah. if you don't know where your music is coming from, what's the point of even listening? And yeah. I would say that that's the same with anything that you consume. We've made that point on this podcast a billion times, but it's fine to like the things you like, but you got to know the commentary around it. You got to know what people think about it. Mm-hmm. It just has a way to better inform what you feel. You can have your gut feelings, but why not have an intellectual feeling about it too? Why not have an emotional feeling about it too? Why not have research. all of the feelings that can be in conflict with one another? Because that's what art does. It makes you conflicted. Or it and if it's not, it's then it's just nonsense, just floating by. And that's fine too. A lot of people make nonsense. You could say this is nonsense. True. You're still here. Maybe. Or maybe no one's ever listening to this. Just like the 2017 obits. Ooh, who knows? Who knows? All right, Kelly. Another year is in the books. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> All right, Kelly, because you just told me, like death, the end of this podcast was very sudden. <laughs> We're back. To say goodbye? From the grave. Oh, no. Oh. Poor. It's never going to be fun. No. You got to joke about death to make it through life. Amen. <laughs> so Kelly, you wanted to say goodbye to everybody from 2018. I do. This is your chance. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you next year. Yeah. We'll see you for together through life. Rule number one Happy of slang. Day. Don't die. <laughs>